0: Hello and welcome to what I hope is the first of many episodes of the 1 in 10 political podcast. Why 1 in 10, I hear you ask? Well, principally, I want to discuss one-nationism and I want to discuss issues around it with a view of piquing the interests of people that already have political inclinations, maybe just getting people to think a little bit about it as a philosophy but also to stimulate and grow knowledge around it, because I really don't think people understand it properly. Politicians, and especially conservative politicians, talk about one-nationism, but there's no real explanation, And, and I think people have lost what it's about. In fact, I think a lot of people think it's a nationalist agenda. and and they see it as associated with issues of the Union and and the issues of Britain as a nation. And it's fundamentally not about that. And I want to explore exactly what it is about and explore related issues as well. But I want to do it in what are roughly 10-minute chunks. So the idea is by the time you get to the end of the 10 minutes or so, your interest is still peaked. you're still thinking about the issues and you go away thinking about them, but you're not bored with the sound of my voice. What I want to do in this first episode is think a little bit about what One Nationism means and what its origins are, and and starting really with, with the origins of One Nation, which fundamentally go back to Disraeli. Uh, Disraeli was arguably the first One Nationist You could argue whether he wasn't or not, but he certainly is the creator of the principles and the thoughts around one-nationism. Although there is an argument and there is some evidence that says he never used the phrase one-nation. But what he did do was stimulate thinking around two-nationism one of the ways he did that was was through a book actually called Sybil and the two nations so you know and and, and that book itself um was a bestseller so there's no doubt that that stimulated a bit of thought uh, and and the book two nations takes a character Egremont, through a journey of discovery ab- about the reality of uh, of britain uh, as it was then and how difficult life was, um that's probably an under that's definitely an understatement, about how difficult life was for, for 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 the more impoverished in the country is the way I would put it. So what I'll do is I'll I'll read a phrase from this book and a paragraph from this book that, that really does highlight you know what the book is about and what it thinks about. Uh, and this is about a meeting that Egremont had uh with, with a character Uh, And and the character speaks to him, um, and and they have a debate about Britain. Uh, And this is how it goes. Well, society may be in its infancy, said Egremont, smiling slightly. But say what you like. Our Queen reigns over the greatest nation that ever existed. Which nation? asked the younger stranger, for she reigns over two. The stranger paused. Egremont was silent, but looked inquiringly. Yes, resumed the younger stranger after a moment's interval. Two nations, between whom there is no intercourse and no sympathy, who are as ignorant of each other's habits, thoughts and feelings as if they were dwellers in different zones or inhabitants of different planets, who are formed by a different breeding, are fed by a different food, are ordered by different manners, and are not governed by the same laws. You speak of, said Egremont, hesitatingly, the rich and the poor What's important about that is it, there's a number of things. It, it, it's, it's an important part of the book, uh, But where the phrase "the rich and the poor" is used in the book, it's capitalized, and it just shows that that's you know the fundamental, the strongest part in the, and, and, and what Disraeli um, wanted to be uh, basically the, the core thinking within the book. And that principle about about us living in a, in a, a nation of two nations is as applicable today as it as it was in those days. Uh, um, but it is also worth highlighting that Disraeli was a reformer, and actually he put his money where his mouth is. So, as prime minister, he did a number of things that that helped the poor and helped the more impoverished um, and and made society a better place. He ended public executions, Uh, he introduced the Corrupt Practices Act, Uh, he actually nationalised the telegraph companies, so he was a nationaliser, he he actually brought the telegraph companies into the ownership of the post office. He introduced the Artisans, Labourers, Dwellings Improvement Act, which helped to improve working class housing. And in fact, he was so effective, Alex alexander Macdonald, who was a Liberal MP at the time, uh, said this. He said, the Conservative Party have done more for the working classes in five years than the Liberals have in 50. I think it's really important to understand that, that the party of that time were helping and improving the lives of the working classes. And, and there's a modern conception that that's not what conservatism is about. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that that, that especially um, the very left wing socialists in the world really, really criticise anybody that suggests that the conservatives have any ambition to do that. But realist- realistically, they have. Uh, the other thing, and this is important and I want to say this because this is something I'm going to explore in later episodes, but as Chancellor, uh, um, Disraeli also championed political reform and doubled the size of the electorate actually through an act that he, he um, helped manage through Parliament. So, you know, political reform is part of his thinking as well and, and political reform has to be part of the thinking about where we are as a country today. And that gets on to the next point, really, which is, what is one-nationism today? And I want to start, really, by, by playing something that is, is um, by Joe Biden, actually. And it, it's, it's the speech that Joe Biden gave on the night that the election was called for him by the media and everybody else, when it became clear that Trump wasn't going to win. Think, I've always believed, many of you heard me say it, I've always believed we can define America... In one word, possibilities, Possibilities. that That in America, everyone should be given an opportunity to go as far as their dreams and God-given ability will take them. That was the most one-nation speech I've heard from from any uh, political leader for a long time, by the way. And that section absolutely summed up what I think one-nationism is about, which is about helping people, whatever the background, to achieve the best of their ability. Uh, The way I put it across is is actually putting ladders in front of people and then giving them the ability and the confidence and the self-belief to climb that ladder. That fundamentally, to me, is what One Nationism is about. But actually, I do think it's deeper than that. Uh, What I would say about where One Nationism is today, the first thing I would start from is I, I think, to a certain extent knowledge of one nationism, what it genuinely means, and that probably includes me, uh, has been lost a little bit. I think I think the principle about us being a one nation party effectively disappeared with Margaret Thatcher. And, and what I mean by that is I think the principles of one nation are understood, but how to deliver it and what it means have been lost. And, and they got lost actually um, when Margaret Thatcher became Prime Minister, not for any sinister or, or reason that that leads me to criticise Margaret Thatcher. Uh, what I would say is I think she came to power at a time when specific things needed to happen in specific ways, to, being blunt about it, get Britain out of a hole. So the way Margaret Thatcher helped the working man, helped the blue-collar worker, was, was actually by challenging and, and changing the people that... Uh, purported to be representing them and 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 so it's hard to portray that as one nationism it's hard for it to be seen to be one nationist but the truth is unions did have huge power and you know in particular they were bullying people through public votes into voting for strike action when when often they didn't want to strike and they didn't see the need for it and and so Although I would argue that Margaret Thatcher did a huge amount for the blue-collar worker, which is why she got elected time after time, uh, the the ideas and thinking around one-nationism got lost at that point. Boris Johnson talks about one-nationism, and some of what he wants to do is uh, one-nationist, and we'll explore that later on. But I also believe, fundamentally... That The principle of two nations and the existence of two nations in the UK uh, applies far more uh, than it just does to rich and poor. It certainly does have, and we do live in a world of haves and have nots, and then there's no two ways about that. And and the gap um, seems to be widening. And in particular, I think the gap in aspiration is widening. And, and I think that's fundamental to what we need to do. But it's more than that. Um you can apply the principle of two-nationism. And what I would say is you take the principle of two-nationism and break it down into subsets. And I would talk about, you know, equality being one of the subsets of two-nationism, where there are the a number of areas where, um, where there are inequalities in the country. Another one where I think we could say there's two-nationism, and I'm talking about this now because this is what my next episode is going to explore, is, is democracy and how our democracy works. And, and this is fundamental. We live in a nation of two nations as far as democracy is concerned. People whose vote counts and people whose vote doesn't. And, and you know, that that's borne out by the fact that the number of safe seats in our country is growing and growing. And, and I'm going to explore that later on, so I'm not going to talk about it more. But what I hope is you've got a sense of what one nationism means now, um, and what it means from my perspective. I don't, I don't have a monopoly on being right on this. Um, what I hope of piqued some thought, and then what I can do later on is, is start to stimulate thought about it. Hopefully, bring some people in to uh, to talk and give their views as well. But just get you thinking about it, and I hope if you've listened to it, you'll listen to the next few episodes and see that I, I do think you know that there's something that needs to be thought about and debated in the country, and and that people need to think about, um, and also to um, to change some of the conceptions about uh, about you know what right of centre politics can deliver and can be about. I want to finish really by just saying that. The reason this is important is because unless change happens through the center ground, people are going to move towards the extremes of politics to start to to make change happen. And we've seen that uh, in a number of political debates recently. Uh, and you know, people move either further and further to the left and further and further towards extreme socialism, or they move more and more towards this libertarian agenda that um, that you know I I would describe as political Darwinism, and, and and I'm not a fan of. So the reason one nationism and debate around one nationism is important is because this is where change needs to happen from from this perspective about putting ladders in front of people about narrowing the gap um, between the two nations that exist and the subsets within two nations that I'll explore later on thank you very much for listening I really do appreciate it